Hello, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, so where should we begin today? This is episode number 19. Hey, it's Vin. Where you been? I missed you. I'm glad you made it back. Don't go anywhere. It's about to get real in here. So just lay back and chill. Get naked even and cleanse your mind, body, and soul for the next 17 minutes. Here are your hosts, LaFool and A. Let's talk about Dave Chappelle's appearance on SNL uh, post-election. I thought it was freaking fantastic. What did you think? I thought it was funny. I don't have television anymore. I don't watch TV, so I watched all the clips on YouTube. Yeah. It was definitely funny. The opening monologue was hilarious. The Giuliani scene with... um. <laughs> <laughs> on the on the on the on the news segment. Yeah, that was hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> skits he did were funny. Um, the monologue was really interesting. The monologue said it said a lot. That's what I appreciated about it because I think now is the time where, yes, we need to laugh, but we also need a big reminder of all of the issues that we are facing as a society here in this particular country. And that none of that has gone away. Who better than Dave Chappelle to just bring it up and throw it in your face and smile very sweetly at you and say, bitch, what are you going to do now? Yeah. It's very empowering as well to just have your shit called on you by someone like that. And then to know that you can be better, you can do differently. I fully, fully appreciated that. I didn't realize how much I had missed hearing his voice until I watched SNL. Dave Chappelle has always been there. Like the story that he tells about his neighbors. The funny thing is the other side, his neighbor's like, I can't, all I hear is the N-word. And he's like, you know, was that coming from you? (laughs) That's just the area that he lives in. It's the best thing ever, right? Like he's able to show you both sides of the coin simultaneously, which is a really beautiful I don't know. It's a magical ability in my estimation. Like he's complete magic. So this one thing he made me think, think about, I would have liked to see the way this election cycle ended was Trump get clobbered only because I wanted to see him be like, you know, eh, I'm over it. I wish it all been like California where I think it was like 65 to 35. You know, I'd have been even happy with like 80% of the country saying no and 20% saying, you know, we, we, we want him. Then he leaves on a positive note. It would be nice to have him go out and go golfing, you know, and people look back and go, you know, eh, he wasn't, he was all right. He, he wasn't bad. It's just really nasty how it's gotten. When the future, when bad shit happens, you know, we're not going to have Trump to kick around anymore. No, we're only going to have ourselves. Yeah. He really was the good bad guy because you can blame everything on Trump. What happens when Trump's not there anymore? Like, like who do you blame it on now? Blame it on yourself. Even though I am pained to see that this election is basically 50-50, right? Like, Biden right now, he's sitting at 4 million more popular votes. You know, maybe he'll come out with a little bit more than that. But that's hair close. I want to be sad about it, but 
it also sort of re-energizes me and kicks me in my ass to say, look, things are not as hopeful and as beautiful as you, you dumbass girl, thought maybe they were. And there's work to be done on a one-to-one basis, on a community building level, because we are Americans. And the fact that we want to be so mad at each other right now is really sad. The Democratic Party has grabbed up the, you know, the words of unity and democracy and fairness and, you know, and everybody getting along. But I do think that is what needs to happen. And I'm not coming at that from a Democratic perspective. I'm coming from being a human. So far, Trump's base has been rather silent. They're silent because he's not leading. You have to ask yourself if the person you follow doesn't tell you what to do and you don't know what to do, are they a good leader? If they were proactive for their cause, whatever that might be, without guidance, instruction, and hourly tweets and proclamations from him, then I might have a little more respect for that side of the system, but they don't seem to have that. They seem to have been willing to say, okay, he's silent. He's told us to stand by. We're just going to do that because we don't know what else to do. I, I don't know. I could, I could be completely off. I'm going to be even more off. Let's take the Republican Party and divide it into three-thirds. One-third didn't vote. One-third very loyal to Trump. And another third voted. But the truth is, if he's gone, I mean, they're really voting for the party, not so much for, for him. They're, they're voting straight ticket. You know, so he's on tax ticket. We got to support that. That third right there, that's just straight ticket. It's going to accept the outcome. It's a fair contest. There's a new president. Okay, let's see what he does. The part that didn't vote at all, they're kind of relieved. It's like, oh, you know, they're taking a breath of fresh air. And they're like happy to welcome in the new president. And the part that's low to Trump, uh, they're going to be the big unknown. Yeah. Now let's take the Democratic Party and do the same thing, divide them into three, maybe even quarters. One fourth of them. Blue no matter who. I mean, it didn't matter. They were, they were going to vote. One-fourth would say we're actually loyal to Biden. They really wanted him. That was that was their guy. They were going to quit otherwise. Another fourth of progressives that only did it because they had no choice. And then another fourth is just, you know, they really didn't, <laughs> they didn't vote. Which one is really going to be disenfranchised? I know a lot of progressives who didn't vote for Biden. They're still angry right now. You're going to have Trump's base on the right who's going to be angry and come after the administration for every little detail. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have those on the left, progressives, they are going to come after them. I think that what's going to end up happening is that this new administration is going to get challenged from both sides. Of that 25% that didn't vote, there were Democrats. I think when they start bringing up very solid things like, look, they're not doing this, not doing that. I think the other half that were progressive that did vote for him are going to agree. I agree. Then go, yeah, he's, I voted for him, but he's not doing this, just like he said he wasn't going to. Now you've had the Democratic Party turning against him. Absolutely. The second the straight ticket Republicans have a reason to hate on him, they're going to. They're looking for it, but they don't have it yet. This is going to turn very fast if, if they don't do the right thing. And all they're going to have left is the blues, no matter who, who are going to go back to sleep. They're not going to come out and support them. They're not going to do anything. They never do. They just go right back to sleep. Right. That's what I see is coming up right now. He's in a great spot because he hasn't done anything yet. Let's transition. 
question I pose is, do you think Biden is going to be worse? Than Trump? Right now, the outskirts just say, of course not, you know, but there's no saying that the devil that I have is better than the devil I don't know. Nobody can legitimately answer that question because it's such a broad question. You have to narrow it down. I think in some respects, he'll be worse than Trump in the, you know, in, in small little categories and in other ways he'll be better. I mean, you and I have had this conversation for a long time where I said early, early on, I think even before we knew who our early democratic runners were going to be. I said, Joe Biden is the only one that can pull the world back together. He, he, he is a statesman in his own right. But then, you know, he was flip-flopping, waffling all over the place. I don't know if I should run. I, you know, and I'm like, what are you doing? But, you know, you want to run, you got to jump out and jump into it. I always felt like he's a much stronger statesman than Trump. So yes, from that perspective, he's always going to be better than Trump. He's going to govern not by Twitter, which will be a pleasant thing. But when it comes to perhaps starting wars or uh, being more aggressive, um, then maybe he'll be worse. Maybe we will find ourselves involved in some warlike altercations. Will he be better with you know the question of uh, immigrants at the border and kids in cages? Maybe it'll be 50-50 right there because that policy has been around for a long time and Trump handled it in such an overt, heavy-handed way that it seemed a lot worse than, say, what the Obama administration had done. I'm not saying that kids in cages is not a horrendous thing, but it doesn't mean that a Biden administration is going to completely eliminate that. Right. And so then is that better or worse than Trump? I don't know. Just focusing on the one thing you just said, kids in cages, separating families at the borders became a policy solely of the Trump administration. So, yeah, they had families in cages before. That's bad. But from what I understand, the policy of the Obama administration, for which VP Biden was a part of, was pretty much immediate deportation. There wasn't a holding them and processing them and doing all this stuff. They took them, they, they, they processed them right back to the points of origin. Now, I don't know necessarily that there's ever a way to run accurate statistics that say if you got deported straight away and didn't get stuck in some kind of holding cell, you know, did you die quicker? I don't know. My guess is Depending on the country you got sent back to, back to, you may have died quicker. We do know those statistics. Those, there was an article I read that said that a lot of these people were being deported back and they were pretty much getting killed fairly fast. And also the deporting of gang members, MS-13 and, and other gangs, they get shipped back to their points of origin. These guys haven't been in Latin America and since they were little kids. And now they're put back into a system and, and they get hunted by the cops. And kind of by the rival gangs, and and their life expectancy was extremely low. Trump is not deporting them; he's keeping them here, but they're locked up for indefinite periods of time. They undergo terrible, terrible atrocities. I mean, kids were being raped; they were not being given medical attention; they were dying on the floor. The trauma, the PTSD that the ones that got separated from their parents and who will never see their parents again is maybe slightly higher than the trauma and PTSD that the kids who got separated but then got returned to their parents. We f up 
countless individuals for their entire life. I think that you'll see Biden address that. And I don't I don't have a proper solution, you know, but he should be able to put a task force together that can come up with a proper solution to that. And then about the endless wars. Right now, Trump pulled troops out of Syria at the cost of the Kurds, who are our allies. It's the one place he should have probably kept troops, but he didn't. We succeeded that land to Russia and Turkey. And we all know that Trump has business ties with Turkey. Trump was working on ending the war in Afghanistan. But the truth of the matter is, that's what Obama should have done. That That's the campaign promise Obama came in on. I'm going to end these wars. And he didn't. He actually added, went from two to eight armed conflicts. And that's the administration that we just got back again. I don't really know off the top of my head how many VPs have become president. But I know the last VP that I'm aware of that became president was uh, under Reagan's. Reagan's VP, George Bush, became president for four years. I think he learned a lot from his VP time that made him a better president. It's very strange, but I look fondly back on the Bush senior uh, years. It may also be that I was not particularly involved in politics at that time. It's been over 20 years, and you can look back on it. Like I, I look back on his time. I look back on, on Bill Clinton's time. I think Bill Clinton, to this day, may have been one of the worst presidents in modern history. It's not what he did during his time with this big smile on his face. It's the aftermath of that. The Biden crime bill happened under Bill Clinton. You were concerned that he's not going to step out strong and he doesn't seem to be having a plan. I'm going to disagree. I think there is a, a phase where you have to normalize the conversation that's coming from the uh, president-elect so that the country <laughs> gets used to hearing someone speak in full sentences, um, somebody who speaks with decorum and demeanor. There's that attempt to normalize him right now. And I think that behind the scenes, they are working incredibly quickly toward who is going to be on his cabinet and the executive orders that he is preparing to execute within his first week of administration. I think there's a lot that's happening there that is setting him up to come out of the gate strong. There's so much that has to be done. There's so much putting out of fires in addition to the regular administration. So it'll be interesting to see how his administration tackles and prioritizes all of that. We need to be watching and actively involved watching him doing his planning. We need to know who his secretary of state is going to be while we can still protest it. That's what I'm concerned about. And those are the things that I want people to be be monitoring and looking up. The administration that is now forming is not going to put out daily press releases about all their activities. They're going to tell you what they need for you to know. And I've noticed in the last two days, it's all about normal normalization. So we'll see what comes in in the weeks following, because yes, they are going to be announcing their cabinet, but they're going to be announcing the cabinet. They're not going to be asking your permission. Can I have, you know, Pete Buttigieg as the attorney general. It's going to be like, no, we're doing Pete Buttigieg as the attorney general. Do you think Pete Buttigieg make a good attorney general? I have no idea. I don't even know if he's a lawyer. Okay. So I know he speaks a bunch of languages and that he was the mayor and was in the military. I don't know that much about him. I know that he gives good speeches and I know that he has a great sense of humor. Like I enjoyed listening to him talk and I, I've been interested to watch him as his voice has developed over the last year toward the end of his campaign and then as it's continued to develop once he was no longer running, it's been fun for me to watch him. We went from Dave Chappelle to Trump 
to Biden, to that president, to Buttigieg. So let's wrap this up. The next time we talk, I know exactly what I want to talk about. What's that? I want to talk about another what if, since what ifs don't ever happen, but... Oh, no! <laughs> let's take a look at who we think should be some of these cabinet picks. Oh, Lord. All right. Sounds fun? Talk to you soon. I'll talk to you very soon. Please like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 17 minutes podcast. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the support of our sponsors. They're listed on our website and social media. Check them out. Have a blessed Sabbath. Shabbat Shalom.